You're a resident expert on the case, on. What do you think the other sex will do when they realize the Nistrum have transporter capabilities? They'll try to get it for themselves any way they can. You're right. It could alter the balance of power among the sex. Exactly. And it is our duty to do everything we can, no matter how dangerous, to stop that from happening. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Stuart Hollis. I'm Thad Haight. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 11, Maneuvers. Yeah, we'll get around to it anyway. It originally aired the 21st of November, 1995, and was directed by... It was directed by David Livingston and written by Kenneth Miller, uh, so we've got some familiar names this week. Excellent. I appreciate the familiarity, Mm. which is a bit of a theme in this episode. (laughs) A little bit. Our synopsis from TV Guide. The Kazon, led by Seska, steal a transporter module from Voyager, prompting Chakotay to set out on his own to recover the device. Alright, Memory Alpha is after Seska steals vital transporter technology from Voyager, Chakotay sets off on his own to recover it. Yeah, I mean, you know, pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Memory Alpha doesn't mention the Kazon, but, you know, we already knew Seska was with the Kazon, so whatever. Yeah, I'm not sure why, like, I appreciate that Chakotay himself called out, boy, I should have known it was you, because, like, I mean, come on, guys. Mm. So, this happens farther into the episode, but it really bugs me, so I want to pick a huge nit. Go on. Chakotay flies a Federation shuttle chock-a-bock full of Federation technology, including a transporter. Yes. So that he can destroy the transporter module the Kazon stole. Then sends a message to Voyager saying, don't come after me. The Kazon now have a Federation shuttle. I mean, he then did later tell us that he destroyed the computer core. I'm not how that I'm not sure how that rendered Yeah everything inoperable, but apparently it does, so I have trouble believing it would. Well, what are you gonna do? Then again, the Federation don't have circuit breakers, so Right. Or seatbelts. Mm. But yeah, it just because we know the shuttle has a transporter. Mm-hmm. Well, because we've seen them it. use it in the past, and he used it in this episode. It's just like there would still be a there would be a transporter module on that shuttle. Right. It also has superior <laughs> sensors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, yeah. the Federation in general has superior sensors. It has phasers. It has yeah. It's got everything. Well, I mean, like the Kazon weapon seemed effectual against the Voyager. So, yeah. right. not sure how much I'm not sure how much they care about uh, the weapons technology. Alright, but I'm just saying. I feel like Chakotay gave them more Federation technology when he was trying to destroy the one piece they had. Yeah. It also... No, no, no. The Delta Flyer itself, which we won't be be introduced to for a couple more seasons, Mm -hmm. it has a replicator, but like a standard issue shuttle I don't think does. Uh, I think they do, actually. Maybe like a small, like, medical replicator? Because we see them sometimes take shuttles on, like, long trips. So I feel like you would have to, right? Unless it's just field rations? I mean, it's a lot of field rations. Yeah. I know the runabouts have replicators. but Well, no, of course. I mean, the run- yeah, I mean, the run- runabout's uh, much bigger. Anyway. So our episode opens with Pilana and Chakotay in the turbo lift after having been interrupted during their game of Hoverball. Mm. How many points does it take to win Hoverball? I couldn't tell you. Because I'm very curious, because Bellana is winning 19-7. to 7. 
Chakotay says he was going to let her have a few more points, lulling her into a false sense of security and victory, and that's when he would make his move. So it's at least 23. Yeah, apparently it's at least like 22, 23 points, but it's like, how are there so many points? Two wouldn't be a few, two is a couple. Ah, he may have said couple. I don't remember. Yeah, sure. We'll, we'll, We'll say 23. That seems like a weird final score, but whatever. Well, at least 23. It could be 25. Okay. How 25 exactly was Jacote planning on making up those 18 points? Like By suddenly being good, I guess? I guess? Is he like a hoverball hustler? That's what he seemed to be saying. <sighs> anyway. In practice, he was probably simply saying that because how could she prove otherwise? And as we find out later in the episode, Jacote's a very prideful man. Ah. So... They, hit, they get to the bridge, we find out that they are receiving a Federation signal. Mm-hmm. And they can verify that it's accurate and good and trustworthy because it is a... According to the encryption key, this particular code was not scheduled for implementation until Stardate 48423. That's a month after we left Deep Space Nine. I mean, all that proves is that it's not ancient, but yes. How do they have advanced knowledge of the codes that are going to be used? That feels like bad security. I, they probably don't, like, for a long time, but especially if a ship's going out into space, they probably have, for, like, the next couple months just to be safe. It's in the same file that has the replicator patterns for the phasers and tricorders. Well, that's also what I was thinking of when, when Tupac <laughs> brought that up. But <laughs> and we're going to have so much to talk about with Transporters this episode. Oh, God. <laughs> The transporter didn't really kill those Kazon. They were already dead. That's exactly what I wrote. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but Or could you say it killed them twice? <laughs> that. That is what I wrote. <laughs> so, I lied just now when I said the other thing. So, like Seska. Um, it just feels like bad security to have any sort of advanced knowledge. Like, how far do subspace transmissions go? They never really tell us. No, usefully. not as far as the Delta Quadrant, clearly. Uh, but because we know, because we know subspace is most is pretty much instantaneous. Because like that's what they use for long range communications back in the Alpha Quadrant. Sure. Because you can't just you can't just you know obviously send a radio wave that would take forever. You wouldn't be able to have face-to-face communication with a, with radio. Right. Because I, I, I just wonder about it, because under ordinary circumstances, they would never expect any of their ships to be outside of the Alpha Quadrant. So they could easily send, like, a subspace burst to update their code books. Mm. And it just feels... That's true. Like, I realize they're not in an active state of war anymore. But... Like, you don't... Like, you don't keep future codes... It could be in an encrypted file that would only unencrypt itself at, at X date. Like, they don't have the... They only have the future code now because it's now a passcode. Yeah, yes, I'm still hung up on this one. There's still a risk, but... Also, as far as subspace, I remembered... I think... Yeah. Uh, the way subspace works, it, it has a limited range, but... What the what Starfleet does is sets up beacons relays. throughout, yeah. yeah, to do the relays, yeah. So that's how that works. 
Right, because they set up a similar thing in the future. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. We're not going to get too in-depth on that because we'd be violating the Temporal Prime Directive. Mm. Which we will find, about, find out about in the future. So, the my other thing. Yes. Can't Harry Kim, uh, so we'll no, ignore no, he the... Can't. F- he can't. We'll ignore the fact that I said that it seems like Harry Kim is... Uh, like, there's the joke that Harry Kim always thinks they can get home, but he doesn't actually think... Apparently, no, I'm wrong. He does. He does always think that. Yeah. Uh, but besides that, Harry... And then Janeway says it's infectious. And I'm thinking, they... It's really... They're really pushing the their luck by assuming that it could be Starfleet looking for them because why would Starfleet even know to look for them there? Yeah, seriously, and how on earth would they have gotten a probe? Well, okay, they could have gotten a probe there because of a previously unmapped wormhole. Right. But why would they eat, why would they know to look for Voyager there? They last heard Voyager was in the Badlands then disappeared. They have no reason to suspect they're in the Delta Quadrant. Maybe the Romulan Oh, that's true. They don't know that the Romulan might have done something. He could have done something to at least, like, tell them Delta we, Quadrant. We later find out he didn't, but... <laughs> but that's but, but but that's the only thing we've seen so far in the in show. In an episode that... In the only other episode of Voyager to have Romulans, actually. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, like, but we do... Like, so far, that's the only piece of information that we have that could even begin to indicate that information has been sent back to the Alpha Quadrant that could have somehow gotten into Starfleet's hands to at least tell them that Voyager at such and such date is going to be in the Delta Quadrant. Like they wouldn't know where, but if Federation if, you know, Starfleet Science Division, what's it called? It has a cooler name. Doesn't I matter. Don't know. They have a cooler name. Jupiter Station. Let's let's put put everything on Jupiter Station. If they discovered like a wormhole that they're pretty sure ends up in the Delta Quadrant, they could just like they could just be like throwing probes through it, each one to go flying off in a different direction. Right, but I still don't think they'd be looking for Voyager. They'd just be looking for random stuff. No, no. no. Again, we're talking about based on our knowledge that at oh, some right, point Voyager did yeah, communicate yeah. with someone in the Alpha Quadrant and tell them their plight. That's that's what I'm saying. Is like, and then incidentally. Jupiter Station discovered this wormhole, blah, 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 blah. Like, the, like those are like this series of, like, if, maybe, possibly, could be statements. Mm. Like, what, what's so, the line from, from Firefly? I'm smelling a lot of if coming off this plan. Yeah. So, in this, in this, in this scene, uh, I actually want to comment about Chakotay and Torres' clothing. It's weird. I don't know what's involved in hoverball, but I assume it's a sport. It sounds like a sport. It's not, presumably it involves activity, strenuous activity. They are not wearing clothes that one would typically associate with athletic endeavors. Yeah, I mean, think about like the kind of clothes that uh, Bashir would always wear in DS9 when he was doing sports on the holodeck. Yeah, Bashir's racquetball outfit, and even O'Brien, who was just wearing, like, a t-shirt and shorts, and, like, was, was you know, mildly surprised when he saw Bashir show up in the super tight outfit. At least what O'Brien was wearing looked like recreation, like, you know, something that you would go out for a jog in. What 
Especially, like, Taurus is wearing, like, a vest on top of her clothing? Like, yeah, like, I-, I thought they were, like, had been doing some sort of, like, ceremonial, like, sparring activity or something, you know, that would have required, like, special clothes. But no, apparently they were playing hoverball. And again, we don't know what hoverball involves. But presumably... Involves hovering. Uh, well, and ball. balls. Uh. So, yeah, I'm just thinking those clothes... be They're the standard ridiculous... Uh, civilian clothing from Star Trek, and they, I don't think they would work for sports clothing. Anyway. So they're on the bridge, they find this beacon, they follow it up, and it turns out it's hot, it's, uh, inside this nebula, and their scanners can't penetrate. Chakotay advises that they not get super close to the probe before they, like, know for sure what it's about, which is wise, because poof, mm-hmm. they get attacked. And it's the Kazon. Yeah. And they know exactly where to hit Voyager. So here's my beef with this scenario. If the Kazon are pounding the same spot on the shields, causing the shields to fail in a specific area and like a breach to open and continue to grow, why not rotate the ship so they can't hit the same spot? Yeah. Or at the very least, move the ship so that the Kazon... Uh, attack boarding craft that was clearly just going in a straight line wouldn't hit the spot where the shields weren't. Yeah. Like, do literally anything to prevent what happened Why didn't happening. Paris do attack pattern Sierra Zulu or whatever? Yeah, it, it, it's always... It'd be, it would have been like Sierra 12. Like they, they never Yeah, did. yeah. We did have Omega 2 this time, though. Yes. Goodness, they have so many evasions face of maneuvers <laughs> yeah. i feel like anyone who goes to starfleet academy is like i want to be a pilot it's like good you know congratulations your next two years is go- are going to be spent literally simply memorizing every maneuver that we could possibly come up okay with. so here's a thought he doesn't actually do the maneuvers he just hits the omega and the two button on his console i'm wondering how he gets information off of his console I mean, like, for, I mean, there, there's the initial issue of the fact that because of the limitations of 1995 and earlier, it's actually a static display. It's an actually a static display. They could not show us dynamic information anyway. Yeah. But assuming that it could potentially show us dynamic information, where would that information be? What would it be telling him? How could he possibly know what's happening around the ship? Yeah, Elkars does not seem like a user-intuitive operating system. Interface, I should say. No, it looks terrible. Yeah. Like, from, like, a usability standpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's super cool from a show standpoint. Yeah. But it looks terrible if you actually had to, like, sit down and use it, especially because his console keeps flickering from the damage. It's like... Yeah. He's trying to fly the ship, and it just, like, keeps, like, turning on and off. <laughs> and there's smoke... At least this this episode didn't have any rocks falling from the ceiling. I don't think, though. I didn't. I didn't notice any. No. So anyway, the Kazon make a hole in the ship in the shields, and their boarding craft makes a hole in the ship. Yeah. Yeah. And they come out in cargo bay two. Interestingly enough, there are apparently three different cargo bay twos on Voyager. Oh, because in different scenarios where they tell us cargo bay two. Okay, so Cargo Bay 2 is where Kess's aeroponics bay is, and Oops. that clearly was not the case here. Nope. 
And Cargo Bay 2 is also where Seven of Nine's Borg alcove will be, and that's on a different deck. Okay, so apparently when they're just, like, not sure what to put in, they just write in Cargo Bay 2. Yeah. You know, meet me in Cargo Bay 2, or my writing room, whichever is more convenient. Yes. It's just an interesting note that, you know, nerds who pay more attention to this than I do figured out and put on Memory Alpha. Sure. So, yeah, so... So Tupac calls out and says, security, meet me with a team at Cargo Bay 2, and then he steps into the turbo lift. Why didn't he do a point-to-point transport? Wouldn't that have been faster? They almost never do site-to-site transports, and I don't understand why. I feel like that's something they should be using all the time. Like, especially in an emergency. But, yeah, like, whenever someone has to go down to engineering for an emergency, they take the turbo lift, too. It's like, guys. It's like, oh, no, the warp core, the warp core is about to explode. But it's okay. You can take an extra 30 unnecessary that seconds to get here. in the very first episode of the show. I know, I know. It's just... <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yes. I get that it probably, like... It absolutely costs more money to apply the transporter effect than to just have someone walk through a door. Yes. But... Come on. How much money could it possibly cost? Yeah. Especially because they use the transporter effect a lot. Yeah. They used it at least, like, three times this episode. So, he does not point-to-point transport, site-to-site transport, sorry. Mm -hmm. They get to the cargo bay, there's a brief uh, phaser fight, and a couple of the Kazon scurry out of the cargo bay and head straight to their actual destination, which is transporter room two. Uh Uh-huh. We just loved the number two today. That's what I was thinking. They take something out of a console, press buttons on another console, and teleport themselves away. Or the console is making, like, a, almost There's like a, a, beeping count, a countdown. Like yeah, beeping. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like the, to let you know when the flash is going to go off. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it was a timer set to destroy the console, or disable the console. Or something, yes. And also, well, you know, like activate it and then disable yeah. itself. Why is that even a thing? Like, I understand delayed activation, that makes sense, but why is delayed disable yourself, like, a button on that console? How could the console work if they had just removed the module from it? I think the theory for that is they said one of the transporter modules. Okay, yeah, I suppose that your average transporter pad has, like, seven emitters or whatever, so... And there's backup systems, so... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They did specifically say one of. I was wondering that as well, but they, they said one of. Well, when they had said one of, I just assumed, like, one of the modules from one of our transporter rooms, as in, like, transporter room two is out of commission until we replace the module. And so, again, transporter room two was out of commission, so they couldn't go after them. Computer, beam me, from the, beam me there using transporter room one. Right. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> but, honestly, I think... Every episode is going to have at least one situation where using the uh, automated site-to-site transport would have solved a, a problem. So maybe yeah. we should bring it up. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe <laughs> it'll become a broken record. The, yeah, no, we can do broken record. I'm not going to start keeping count of things. Yeah, no, that's going to be everything. We do have some kind of. We did have some have a some kind of. Um, no one and duns though. From best I can tell, mm. everything sounded like fairly standard fair Star Trek te- techno babble. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we have evasive pattern Omega Two again, but probably. Well, uh, 
But we did have some kind of randomly fluctuating modulation. Yes. So now is right around the time that we find out that Seska is behind all of this. Wahaha. God, seriously, like, hers is an evil laugh. Mm-hmm. So yes, Seska is behind all of this. She has anticipated every one of their maneuvers. Hmm. Which I actually don't think ever gets said in this entire... It Maybe with the shuttle doing... But maybe not. The working title of this episode was Manipulations. Ooh. Oh, that's so much better. That's yeah. so much better. I know, right? Ugh. So they're... After we have our little chat with Seska, where she's like, ha-ha, I anticipated all of your maneuvers, and now I flee. Ha-ha. <laughs> We're down in the cargo bay, numero dos, where they're figuring out, what do we do with this thing sticking into us? We can't go to warp, and we need to remove it, and we're all these problems that we need to solve before we can remove it. And Janeway points out that we can't go anywhere with this knife in our belly. And I get that that's the expression. But it's not really in the belly. No, it's on the dorsal side of the saucer. The belly would have been the bottom of the secondary hall. It would have been the ventral side, yes. Yeah. So here's what bugs me about dorsal versus ventral, and what always throws me off. They have blowholes on top. Because you usually hear, like, ventral and dorsal referring to, like, whales and dolphins and stuff. Yes. They have blowholes on top. They have vent holes on top, <laughs> but the ventral is the bottom. The way I remember it is dorsal fin on a shark. Yeah, that doesn't help me at all. Sharks are covered in fins. They're the ultimate the apex dorsal predator. The fin is the one that sticks up out of the water when, you know, it's about to eat a boat. Yeah, but they have vents on top. <laughs> Sharks don't. Well, no, of course, but not what <laughs> dolphins and whales do, and that's what well, I, I think of. Well, I don't think, I think, my first thought is dorsal fin, so I never have a problem. Right, but like, so nowadays, it's basically me having to be like, oh, Benjamin. No, ventral's the bottom. <laughs> so, yeah, I have like a broken mnemonic, basically. <laughs> Mnemonic's the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And this is when Tuvok tells us that perhaps Jakote's intimate knowledge of Seska could aid them in predicting what she's going to do next. Mm. And I'm glad that much, much later in the episode, Jakote like explicitly calls out flattery, devotion, sex. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, like, we kept sort of, like, dancing around that aspect of it, and I do appreciate them actually, like, completely owning it. Yes. Especially since it was 1995. Well, we also clearly saw that that's what she was doing with the yes Maj scene. Oh my god, the yes Maj scene. <laughs> yes Maj. Uh, don't, don't ever say those words ever again. <laughs> Scene was gross. I don't need any more grossness. I think at this point we're back on the Kazon ship for a little bit. Yeah, we get the Yesmosh scene. Well, no, we get the... This is not the Yesmosh scene. This is when they kill the... Yeah, this is when they're first meeting with the like the, the Maj and his second. I don't know what the second is called. They later call just call him a companion. Okay. Of the... Oh, gosh, which sect was it? The, the Lavoran? Uh, Relora. Relora, thank you. Who is saying, well, hey, that's pretty cool what you did there, but you know what? Let us big boys take care of this problem for you. So, how did this work? 
Why was this guy just on their ship? Yeah, how is he there already? Yeah. Like, like, what's the... Well, I mean, Voyager was sitting still for a while to repair itself. So this could have been, for all we know, like 12 hours in the future. Yes, but the Relora, according to Neelix, the Relora and the Nistrum are sworn enemies. Why would the Relora show up, go on to Kula's ship, and have their ship go away? Yes, because if their ship hadn't gone away, then surely they would have noticed all of a sudden this debris that they could have like figured out was their Maj, or at least the Maj never came back and isn't responding to hails. Yeah. That's a good point. I had not thought about any of that. I was mostly stuck on how stupid it was for Maj Kula to reach out to a more powerful sect, because, dummy, yeah. have you ever met a Kazon? Well, apparently it was it was Seska's idea. Which, yes, when we find that out later, it's like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Well, why did Seska think not, that was a good idea? Because Seska has not met very many Kazons. Well, she's met a few. She's met a few, but she's more familiar with Cardassians, Bajorans, Maquis, and Federation. Hmm. That's true. So it's possible that like, within like the Maquis, if they do have sort of... They probably wouldn't call themselves sex, they call themselves cells, almost certainly. And they probably have much more amical relationships with each other. Oh, right, even if it's sort of like, no, 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 we're like, we'll handle like this region or whatever, like, they're still probably fairly amical because they're united in a common goal. Yeah. And the same would go relatively for the Cardassians as well, that it's like, mm-hmm. it would make sense... Well, the Cardassians go... also have a central government. Right, like, it would make sense to go to a more powerful person... Okay. Even, yeah. even if they take an advantage, even if they take advantage of what you're giving them, they would still kind of like bring you along for the ride. Right. Whereas in whereas in in Kazon society, no, like the whole point of the Kazon society is to always be achieving more power and to destroy those who are equal or weaker than you. Right. At least from what we've seen so far, I'm not a Kazonologist. Hmm. If you are a Kazonologist and would like to tell us how wrong we are, please reach out to DeltaFlyerPod at gmail.com. And please, please tell us where you got your degree in Kazonology. Oh, yeah, because I think I would like to do like a... I mean, not like take... Not not to get a degree, but maybe like audit the course or something, you know? Yeah, I'd want to at least Partial sit in on credit. a couple courses, yeah. Yeah. Kazon extension course. <laughs> Thank you. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> So we cut back to Voyager, and we have Chakotay and Bellana in engineering, just talking about the whole situation and how much they don't like Ke- uh, they don't like Seska. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I mean, who does? Right. No. Well, no one on Voyager certainly. Mm. Bellana thought that Seska was her best friend, but then she turned into a Cardassian, literally. <laughs> yes. What was she doing to? tap into her Cardassian physiology or whatever her wording was. As you can see, I'm in the process of restoring my Cardassian physiology. Yeah, I don't know. Because one would assume that there was some sort of plastic surgery involved to make her look Bajoran. So, do the Kazon have plastic surgery? That she's just, like, changing herself. But if they had access to plastic surgery, you'd think she'd go all the way and not, like... Yeah. Maybe it's some sort of gene therapy? Maybe. But where's she uh, getting the Cardassian genes? From herself, and then she isolates the Cardassian parts of it? It's still weird. No, no, it's super weird. But anyway. Yes. So, fun fact. Bring it. 
Martha Hackett was in fact pregnant during this episode. Ah. And, and that was com- completely a coincidence. Oh, okay. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's not like they ever, like, show any evidence of the pregnancy. Right. So when they reached out to Martha Hackett and said, we're going to bring Seska back, and she... Uh, there's two versions of the story that Martha Hackett has told at conventions. One is they said, and we're going to make her pregnant. And she was two, two weeks pregnant at the time. The other version is she said, you should probably know that I'm pregnant. And they're like, oh, we we're going to do that anyway. Hmm. But either way, interesting coincidence. That is a relatively fun fact. Yeah. Yeah. So I think at this point we do cut back to the Kazon ship a little bit. Had we left? Oh, yeah, we did leave the Kazon ship. Yeah, no, so we're, we were in engineering with Chakotay and Balana. I think we come back for the Yesmash scene. But before the Yesmash scene is when we find the dead Kazons in space. Yes. Do we? And the, yes. Okay. And the doctor tells us that he has, like, there's clear, like, transporter residue or something, which, like, feels weird that that's a thing yeah. that exists. And they determined that, no, 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 no. Well, he can tell that they were just created within the last... <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Their <laughs> cells are too new. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, and they work themselves around to the idea that this was not a transporter accident of testing the stuff because Neelix points out that this one is wearing the colors and insignia of the first Maj of the Relora. Yes. And they determined that, no, 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 they were executed by transporter. But every transport is an execution. Yes, and that is when I wrote Kazon's died twice with transporter. <laughs> so now we're on, now we're in the ready room. Mm-hmm. They're figuring out what to do to go after Seska. Because somewhere on the way, Jacote points out that this is that the warp trail left behind was too easy and obvious, but they opted to follow it anyway. At this point, the warp trail like went dead for a minute and then picked back up again because they had to you know, eject those two caissons into space. And we find out that Chote is not in the ready room. He told Bolana he would be right up. Yes. And then we find out he's not on the ship. Computer, locate Commander Chakotay. Commander Chakotay is not aboard the ship. And he has stolen a shuttle. Yeah. Which conveniently has the interface for the anti-proton emitter thingamajig just right there in like the center console they all just have the holes for that like they do for the thing in prime factors yeah this is you know it's like it's this sort of crap that gets really annoying <laughs> like I w- i'm willing to accept the idea that there's an interface for that thingamajig somewhere in the shuttle like i i will accept that that it uses some sort of standard starfleet right exactly that they simply like took like an existing sort of like particle emitter array and they tweaked it for anti-protons and instead just swap out the you know the standard but one it wouldn't be just one. in the center it of would the not just be in the center of the console like what i get that it, it, it cuts down on set design costs yeah and starfleet maybe the starfleet controls are just infinitely adaptable like you just hit a button and hey now you can plug this in here instead of there no you don't know i won't allow it Okay. I'm just trying. Trying right. to explain. So now we cut back to the Kazon ship with Kola and Seska talking about how silly it was to reach out to a more powerful sect. And then we find out that Seska has already reached out to three less powerful sects. Yes. Like, this all feels like groundwork to me. And I have, like, vague recollections that this 
does come to fruition, but I could be wrong. But it all feels like groundwork to me. Like everything in this episode, um, is what I'm saying, is her setting herself up to basically just like take over the Nistra. More or less, yeah. Yeah. We'll find out more at the end of the season. Right. Like her, like, you know, taking all these liberties and giving orders and everything else. And the crew becomes accustomed to the idea that when she gives orders, they're going to have to listen to it. And this is when we get the creepy yes, Maj scene. Mm hmm. And that's all I'll say about that. Okay. We cut back to Voyager and we are with Bogana and Janeway in Janeway's ready room mm-hmm. talking about Chakotay's situation. Bogana is there to try to convince Janeway that Chakotay did what he did because he's a prideful man. Which is more correct, prideful or proud? Uh, I feel like prideful is... Prideful, in this case, is more correct. Yes. Janeway understands where Bolana is coming from, but she also has to deal with the fact that she that Chakotay is her first officer, and he yeah. kind of defied her in front of, certainly at least, like, the senior staff. Mm-hmm. Although it's not a big ship, most of them have got to know that Chakotay ran off on his own. Yeah. So, I understand Janeway's position. But eventually, she does come around to the to what Bolana is trying to say, which is understand where he's coming from and what he was ultimately trying to do, which was solve what he saw to be his own problem, and maybe take that into account before you like fully court martial him. Mm. And this, and the very end of the episode, made me think a lot about the episode of Stargate that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, uh, Learning Curve. Mm-hmm. Because that one also involves a senior officer on the team deciding to defy standing orders in order to do what they feel is the best course of action and also be willing to accept the consequences but not being repentant for their actions. Yes. Nice. Nice little tie in there. I like it when they tie together that way. It's like a it's like a too bad. That's gonna be yeah. Too bad they not these episodes won't come out the same week, but that is nice. Yes. Although the last time I said that the end the episodes ended up coming out the same week, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might you know we might get sick again. <laughs> we cut to Chakotay on the shuttle at this point, or back mm-hmm. to him, and he tells the computer to reduce power to maneuvering thrusters. Ah, that's where it comes in now. How this is phrased, I feel like it could be taken one of two ways. It sounds like he's just saying to slow down. Exactly. Well, well, no. It's like like option one, which is the maneuvering thrusters reduce the power that they can output. Option two, reduce power to only allow the maneuvering thrusters, which I think is like what he was actually telling the computer to do. He was just going to, like, coast to where he needed to go because it's space and there's no drag. And then use maneuvering thrusters only from there. But I feel like the command should have been phrased better for the computer's benefit. Mm. Yeah. Because even for, like, a human, like, that's an ambiguous phrase. I wonder if... Okay, so you gotta imagine that the computer is at least a smart as an iPhone. iPhones and Android phones too. 
learn your behavior to a certain degree. And you got to imagine that in the 24th century, we've had, you know, another 300 years of computer enhancement. This computer's all up in Chakotay's psyche. Hey, man, don't forget about World War Three. Okay. We've had 250 years of there you computer go. enhancement. Okay, okay. This computer's all up in Chakotay's psyche. That said, did they know that in 1996? Probably Five. not. Yeah, 1995. Probably not. But what I'm saying is that, like, it's just you and me talking. Mm-hmm. There is no computer. You are my co-pilot in the shuttle. And my only words to you are... Reduce power to maneuvering thrusters. And you're not allowed to say, what do you mean? Hmm. But the computer can say, what do you mean? Sometimes it will, if it doesn't yes. understand the, the question. Yeah, it would be like, unable to comply, please, whatever. Yeah. But that's... But, that's my point. Is like you like that is am, in an ambiguous statement. It'd be the same thing if like if you or I said to our phones, "Call my sister," and it's somehow magically knowing which sister we were talking about. Mm, good point. Incidentally, my co-host and I we both we both have two sisters. Yeah, we're not related. That would be weird. That would be weird. Not the idea of co-host being related strictly the idea of that i don't want to be related to this guy dang (laughs) that's low i'm awesome (laughs) anyway why didn't the kazon have their shields up i wondered that as well because they detect like weird like em stuff happening outside the ship seska figures out that aha it must be well chakotay in a shuttle running dark and, like, up close to us, so they do this thing where they flush him out. And they never have their shields up, because later, they're able to beam Chakotay off. Maybe they don't have shields? Do the Kazon not have shields? They have deflectors, because that's what they use to flush him out, but... Well, they would have to have deflectors, otherwise they wouldn't be able to, you know, right. fly yeah. in space. Maybe they don't have shields? That's another piece of Federation technology they could steal from that shuttlecraft. Yeah, like, maybe they only have just, like, serious hull plating. I prefer XM hull plating. Well, they're, they're the same thing now. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Chakotay beams himself aboard because they have no shields, apparently. <laughs> yeah, apparently. This is the truth I choose to believe. The Kazon have no shields. That's, just, like, yeah. culturally. I feel like they should be really wanting those, like... Transporter's cool, but shields... Shields would really change the balance of power. Imagine if they had transporters and shields. <laughs> like, I just wrote down why they had their shields up. This conversation made me wonder, do they have any shields to put up? Like, this this is remarkable. It only makes sense that they don't, since they're it fighting Voyager. It only makes Voyager. sense that they don't. When they're fighting Voyager later, they would obviously have their shields up if they had them. Right. So that they must just have just like serious armor plating. Mm. Okay. Maybe that's why their ships ships have to be so big. Oh, that giant Kazon Ogle ship is like half hull. Right, which is not actually a Kazon ship. It's a it's a Trabe oh, ship. Thank you. It's actually Trabe. So the Trabe never had shields. Right. I mean, they're Kazon ships now because the Trabe are more or less. We'll find out very soon. The Trabe don't really have much left at this point. Right, no, but but the point is that it's like, the Kazon don't invent anything for themselves. Right, yeah. You know, like, they're scavengers and pirates. 
Yeah. So they take the trade ships and they can like replicate the technology. Like, well, not replicate, but duplicate the technology because it's all simplistic technology. But it was like more advanced than the Kazon had at the time because the trade had been enslaving them. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And if the Trabe didn't have shields, then the Kazon don't have shields. There are no yeah. Kazon scientists that we ever meet. That we ever meet. Or get mentioned or anything like that. No, they're constantly trying to steal other people's technology. Maybe there's the one sect of scientists that no one talks about. The Kazon nerd sect? Yeah, it's embarrassing. You don't want to tell, tell people about your nerds. <laughs> right, oh, exactly. So, you know, so they secretly, quietly have, like, you know, like, their incredibly small fleet of, like, sh- three ships that do that do have shields, but they can't do anything because every other sect is, like, bigger just and better. imagining these Kazon with glasses, I mean. <laughs> yes, no, no, don't forget, with, with the tape, the tape on the bridge. Oh, yeah, and pocket protectors. Yes. <laughs> Not that they have writing instruments. Well, I mean, yeah. these Kazon would because they're nerds. Yeah. Kazon and they have, nerds. They have, like... No, I'm totally picturing Kazon nerds now. This is funny. this is great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Chakotay beams himself on board. He blows up the transporter module, which is conveniently installed on the bridge. I guess well, the computer did, did finally figure out where. where it was. Yeah. yeah, the computer did finally figure out where the where the thing was. I forgot about that part. He blows it up. Has Seska at phaser point, and then just gives her the phaser. I mean, I guess he had to figure that Seska was Kala's woman, and if we have the time for it, although we are running long on this one, I had no idea we are going to talk for this long on this episode. Somehow, I was not expecting this at all. No, I was expecting this to be like a 20-minute one. <laughs> if Jakote knows or suspects that Seska is Kala's woman, mm. then he wouldn't kill her because maybe like so he was intending to get captured because he sent out that buoy which we find out in a few minutes he sends out that buoy back you know the the beacon message back to voyager be like hey listen the job is done don't rescue me i'm probably dead he also wouldn't kill her because he's chakotay right but he's expecting on some level he's gonna die he could have at least stunned her yeah he's expecting on some level he's gonna die but you know, there's some small part of it that's like maybe, just maybe, I can effect a heroic escape. Mm. Uh, not that my shuttle will do me any good because I fry the computer core because I'm a dummy. But I'm not a dummy because if I die, they can take apart the shuttle. So it's all circular. So maybe that's why I didn't kill her. Maybe it's just because that's not the kind of guy he is. Yeah, no, I don't think he would have killed her anyway. Just because he wouldn't have killed any of the Kazon either, unless he had to. Yeah, no, that's true. So now he's getting interrogated. There may have been a scene back in Voyager in between this, but it didn't matter. So now he's getting interrogated by Seska, who offers him a drink of enemy's blood, for which he has acquired a taste. Mm. What's that Cardassian liquor that oozes like ooze? Sometimes. Kinar. Right. I don't trust any Cardassian's taste for liquor. I don't trust any Cardassian's taste for anything based on descriptions of Cardassian food, either. What about, um... I forgot his name. The tailor. Garrick? Yes. What about Garrick's taste in clothes? Terrible. That's probably true. Cardassians have weird fashion. Garrick wears really ridiculous clothing because he's a civilian in Star Trek. <laughs> That's true. That ha- like... But that has to be like, a, like that has to be like an intentional costume design oh, choice. Oh, it was. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. It absolutely was. It's to make things look alien and different, and show that it's not 
just us. Well, no, because even on Earth, they weird they wear weird clothes well, to make it look like the future. Yeah, Seska is interrogating Chakotay, sort of. She's supposed to be like having a conversation with him. There's really no interrogation happening. Maybe she's hoping that she can like recharm him. I, I mean, do you know what's happening here? Not really. Okay, you really gotta start giving me more words. Uh, <laughs> and then she ultimately, um, like one of the last things she says is that I'll have to use all of my influence to make sure they don't kill you. And like at this point, we still haven't gotten like the actual line about her, you know, offering up sex. But that's still, in my opinion, like the subtext of it. Like Seska has mm-hmm. no qualms at all about using literally everything at her disposal her mind, her charm, her persuasion, her body, anything in order to achieve her achieve her ends. Yeah, he's definitely uh, he's trying to goad Kulla, clearly. Well, that comes later when Kulla starts interrogating him. Oh, yeah, you're right. I don't know what he's doing with Seska. He's just being Chicote. Well, he's just, you know, saying like you fool, you know, fooled me once, shame on me. Yeah, gloating that he ruined her plans, I guess. Yes, yeah, sort of. Except he didn't, because he gave them a freaking shuttlecraft. Except he didn't, because he blew up the computer core. But it still has all the things in it. No, no, I know, I know. Anyway. So between interrogations, we cut back to Voyager, and we've got Tuvok, Pagana, and Janeway. There may have been other people there, but they don't matter. Sure. Right. And Janeway is telling us that her gut says we should follow after Chakotay, because we don't leave people behind. But her judgment says we should listen to what Chicote told us, which is the mission is done, let him go, and just continue. She ends up going with the gut. Yes, Belana gives an impassioned speech that convinces Janeway that she should go with the gut because we'll just think of the morale hit of the idea that our first officer got captured by the Kazon because he left the ship and we didn't go after him. She's not wrong, but... Yeah. Also, they wouldn't be our heroes if they just let Chakotay languish. And other than last week, when we literally left Chakotay behind, Starfleet doesn't leave people behind. Well, that was two weeks two weeks ago, but yes. That was two weeks ago. But there was a storm and a tree fell yeah. on him. Mm. What are you going to do? You can't fight a tree. Apparently. So now we cut back to interrogation two. This time it's personal. With pow, right in the kisser kind of personal. <laughs> nice. Pow, right in the kisser. Pow, yeah. right in the kisser. <laughs> Kola is now interrogating Chakotay. And he's demanding the command codes. Chakotay is not giving them up because he's a strong, resolute Starfleet officer. Who's not really a Starfleet officer. Except he was once, but then well, he wasn't. he was once, but yeah, anyway. But then he wasn't, yeah. And now he is again, sort of. With a provisional badge, kind of. Uh, don't get me started on those again. Oh, God, you're right. My bad. <laughs> it's been a while since I've mentioned rank pips. <laughs> <laughs> and they're talking back and forth, and this is when we get the... Uh... Flattery, devotion, sex. Yeah, and he's clearly just goading uh, Kala to try to get a reaction out of him. Oh, yeah, no, like, you know, there's a part where he's like, well, you know, if you're in charge, then why is she here? You know, that sort of stuff. And they ultimately inject him with, like, a... I assume it's supposed to be, like, a truth serum. Right. But it basically just takes him out of it. 
Yeah. And he's like, well, give me the command code. He's like, well, I'll give you one better. She's going to kill you. <laughs> so here's what this made me think of. So assuming the idea of like a truth serum is a thing that actually like works the way that pop culture tells us that it works. It doesn't. Yeah, but they were all bad. <laughs> nice. It's been a while since I've seen that. I should rewatch that. I just rewatched it like two weeks ago. It's always amazing. Mm-hmm. So here, so here's what the true serum thing got me thinking about. Because Chakotay says, I'll give you something better. If you could convince yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, like, he's in this situation. He knows he's going to get interrogated. He knows that they're going to ask him for something such. Like, if not the command code specifically, he knows they're going to ask for something like that. If he could, like, get himself, get his mind and self to a place where he just, like, had convinced himself that the most important information in his, in his head was that Seska was a terrible person who would betray everyone around them, do you think that would work? It might. Then again, it might not. Yeah, but, like, that, like that's what this scene, like, got me thinking about, was, like, Assuming this is like a truth serum, like pop culture tells us exists, if you could convince yourself that like, yeah, yeah, what you're asking about is fine and all, but here's a more important truth you need to know. Mm. Like, I don't know. So we're back on Voyager, on the bridge, mm-hmm. and Balana has a brilliant plan. Mm. She wants to beam Chakotay off the Kazon ship yes. while traveling at warp speed. Right, which we know from Star Trek 2009 is possible. Like trying to hit a bullet with a smaller bullet whilst wearing a blindfold, riding a horse. Well, actually, no, we don't know this particular th- but we, we know the reverse is possible. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, and they talk about how it's really hard to do with two ships traveling at warp and almost impossible to do if you're beaming if one from- is standing still right yeah and they say it goes against all of starfleet safety standards and balana's like safety standards what are those right like we're the maquis we don't have safety standards mm. so now we're gonna try this apparently even though it doesn't work so they don't do it anyway <laughs> yeah but you know well they do try and it does work and he's like he's fully no they've dropped out of warp before they did that Oh, you're right. Yeah, because they could not get a lock on, so they had to drop out of warp. Mm-hmm. So they do like they they, they do eventually uh, lock onto him. They get him off the Kazon ship. Like we see, he's totally gone off the Kazon ship, and he's rematerializing on Voyager. Mm-hmm. And then Seska pushes some buttons, and he's it's he's not he's not transported anymore. And it's but if if he's if he's fully gone from the source, that means the transporter has fully captured his information and it's it's in the buffer at this point like I, yeah it should be done except we have we have this particular sort of thing happens multiple times throughout star trek <sighs> star trek <laughs> yeah i know except in the rare instances where because the plot requires it they're able to like save it in the buffer and transfer it somewhere else real quick they do eventually get uh, Chakotay back. They figure out that if, you know, that Chakotay is the only thing being blocked from being transported. So they grab the four Majas mm-hmm. that are in the little meeting, bring them onto the transporter pad. And the transporters disable th- their weapons. Which is good. They're actually using the transporters the way they should, except exactly. all the times this episode when they haven't. Right. <laughs> 
Tuvok gives them the ultimatum. Give us our first officer and our, tr- our shuttle back and you're free to go. They agree. They don't say it, but they agree. Mm-hmm. And now we're in Janeway's ready room with Chakotay. Because he's back, he's safe, he's healed up. And she tells him that she's going to put him on report for whatever good that is. And he says, that means something to me. Right, because he recognizes that she's not mad. She's just just disappointed. disappointed. So so Kenneth Biller wanted to have her throw throw him in the brig. But he was... uh, But Michael Piller told him he couldn't do that. Not even for an episode? Apparently. (sighs) Yeah. Kind of feel like he deserves to be thrown in the brig for at least an episode. Yeah. If Tom Paris can get thrown in the brig for a month. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> right? Or she could bust him down to a lieutenant. Ooh. But then how could he order Tuvok around? <laughs> oh, no, Tuvok's a lieutenant now, too. So there are no lieutenant commanders on the ship other than Chakotay at this point. So she could bust him down to lieutenant. Yes. And then I could talk about rank pips. But I- so the episode finally ends with our third Federation broadcast. Yes! <laughs> Which Chicote says, nah, I'm not going to take this privately, and then instantly regrets that decision. But anyway, we get this sort of, like, future glimpse of what this channel is going to transform into. Mm-hmm. When it was Seska saying, I stole your DNA and impregnated myself, and you're going to be a father. And it's like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's like a CW show today, or the OC back in the day, or... So... Thanks for uh, sticking around for this uh, surprisingly long episode. We thought we didn't have a whole lot to talk about on this episode. This episode was like five times longer than I thought it would be. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. (laughs) It definitely... uh... It won't be... Listeners, it won't actually be five times longer than I thought it would be once Stuart edits out half of our digressions. But... Oh yeah, no, but I but I feel like uh, like the final runtime is going to resist like a whole lot of reduction. Ooh, much like our next episode, Resistance. That's right. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening this week. Uh, if you enjoyed this, you can also check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly. You can find and review both of our podcasts on your podcast player of choice. You can also reach us at our email address, deltaflyerpod at gmail dot com. You can find me on Twitter at Gamicus. You can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Delta Flyer Pod. And that's our show. Yeah. I'm stopping. <laughs> <laughs>